Welcome back to middle school. It's a zoo out there, so just be cool. Don't speak too loud, try to fit in. But if you don't, then you can be in. everyone, and welcome to the Outfit Repeaters, an unofficial Lizzie McGuire recap podcast. I'm your host, Marissa Cantor, and here with me, as always, is Sam Chung. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. It is great to be here once again, here to talk about episode three of Lizzie McGuire. Yes, today we're talking about the episode, When Moms Attack, in this episode, Lizzie is pleased at the prospect of a weekend away from her mother until she hears that her mom is actually chaperoning the field trip. This episode aired on January 26th, 2001. And before we begin, I ended last episode in quite a tizzy because I noticed that on Disney Plus, there is an apostrophe where there should not be an apostrophe, but I have since looked on other listing services and it seems that that is just a typo that Disney Plus has, so it was not ingrained into the metadata itself, so that does make <laughs> me feel a little bit better. But it's a really bad look for Disney Plus. I mean, Disney Plus came, got off to a rocky start, regardless. <laughs> Maybe one day they'll go back in and, and fix all these metadata mistakes. Yeah, it's mom's plural, not mom's apostrophe. Yeah, not mom possessive. Possessive. Yeah. Yeah, so... You were already off to a rocky start with this episode. I was, but I have since come around on it. And after we watched the episode, there are things that I do like about the episode. There are some things that I find a little bit um, strange. And I'm excited to break everything down. Yeah, let's get into it. Sure. Okay, so from the top, Lizzie, we see her in her bedroom, um, frantically packing for some sort of trip she's just there's a lot of clothes everywhere there's a lot of shoving items into a backpack you see a sleeping bag rolled up on her bed something's going on yeah this is like the second straight episode that started with her like looking through her closet yeah in three episodes total is this going to be how she starts every episode just like looking through her closet it's a great question stay tuned no spoilers okay well, in my mind, that seems to be how every episode is going to start. And then... I mean, in then, all fairness, in all fairness, that is how everybody starts their day, frantically looking through their closet. And then also in two out of the three episodes, her little cartoon self has started off by going, okay, I know what you're thinking. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, is that like a, a pattern that's going to repeat? And, like, was it ever what you were thinking? Not in the moment. It, that was not what I was thinking. Like, she was packing up her bag, the, and the, the character is like, I know what you're thinking. Overnight science field trip. <laughs> not what, not I, was what I was thinking. I was just thinking, like, sleepover, you know. But, no, overnight science field trip. Like, camping in the woods. Correct. 
she is packing frantically for it. She has a nice moment with um, Mr. Snuggles, her stuffed pet pig, where she kind of just, like, holds it. He's like, wait a second. I can't bring you on this trip. I'm too old for this. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not going to judge somebody for having a favorite stuffed animal at the age of, like, 12 or 13, but talking to that stuffed animal, like, that's a little strange for me. I had a favorite stuffed animal. Yeah, but would you, like, look at it straight in the eyes and be like, I'm sorry, Mr. (laughs) Snuggles. I can't take you on this field trip with me. All the other children will laugh at me and think that I'm strange. I mean, I maybe I... but. Maybe I would be thinking that in my head, but for the sake of TV, Lizzie has to declare it. I guess, yeah. It has to make in all it fairness. known both to the audience and Mr. Snuggles. Yes. Lest no one's feelings get hurt. I stand by that. Okay. Justice for Mr. Snuggles. Justice for Mr. <laughs> Snuggles. Uh, yeah, so we find out she's going on a science field trip. She's really excited to spend 48 hours in the woods with just Gordo and Miranda. It's not just Gordo and Miranda, it's her entire class and her teacher, but I digress. Yeah, and um, did I get this right? The field trip is a Friday into a Saturday? So it would seem. (laughs) Interesting take for a field trip, like a Friday, but then you also are still on the field trip on Saturday. They're not even having like the benefit of missing school. Well, they they miss one day, but then their entire Saturday is just, is gone. And if it was 48 hours, shouldn't it have been Two nights in the woods? Uh, technically. Technically. I think she was just saying 48 hours is in two days. Who's to say? Who's to say, though, yeah. And then at the end of the cold open, we get our first Survivor reference. Yeah, this was really like an intersection of two worlds for me because I'm a huge Survivor fan and you are as well. Yeah, for us. It's been for us. It's plural. Been a crazy month for like weird intersections with Survivor. First Chase Rice was on The Bachelor. <laughs> Chase Rice was on The Bachelor. Who maybe many Bachelor fr- uh, fans don't know, uh, but I know this. Chase Rice came in second on Survivor Nicaragua, losing a very close. Uh, final tribal to Fabio, <laughs> a.k.a. Judd Burza. Like, in a parallel universe, the winner of Survivor could have been Chase Rice. He was very close to it being was very close. the it winner was, of Survivor. It was a close vote. Yeah. And now, here we are watching Lizzie McGuire, and what do you know, it's an episode that parallels Survivor. Really aggressively. <laughs> Super aggressively. They don't even try to hide it. So Lizzie states that this trip is like Survivor, but for school credit. Oh, how little we know at this point. And how little we, we're we're not even like, you think, oh, cute Survivor reference. It's the early 2000s. It's, Lizzie loves its pop culture stuff. Totally. They probably filmed this like while Survivor was actually like on TV. Probably. Because Survivor started in the summer of 2000. And this episode aired in January of 2001. So they were really, like, on the pulse. They were like, Survivor's going to be a big deal. I know. They probably, like, wrote it into the script on the set. They're like, let's <laughs> let's make some Survivor references. I love it. I live for it. <laughs> can't wait to talk more about Can't wait for this episode of the podcast to turn into a Survivor podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so cut to our lovely theme song. Cut back to Lizzie's house. And we get 
our first true three-way phone call of the series. We do, but it's not like an even three boxes. It's like Lizzie gets two-thirds of the screen, and then Gordo and Miranda are forced into little tiny boxes on the side. That's true. I think it's really impressive that they call Lizzie and she's just automatically connected. They had some pretty, um, they had a good, someone had a good conference line. Yeah, well, they must have already been talking. Yeah. And then they conference Lizzie in. in. It's like how, you know, it seems like every summer in the Harry Potter books, like Ron and Hermione are together already. And then Harry Potter just, <laughs> just like <laughs> appears. That's a good, that's a good point. That's why Ron and Hermione end up getting it on. All that quality time <laughs> together without Harry before Harry shows up. Like, where's Harry? It's interesting to me that Gordo and Miranda would be talking without Lizzie, though, because to me, Lizzie's definitely, in my view, like the glue that holds them all together. Like, I think Lizzie's better friends with both Gordo and Miranda than they are with each other. So I wonder what they're talking about. Oh, I mean, we may never know. We may never. We will never know. I mean, but it was probably about the field trip. Just yeah, a we hunch. Can, <laughs> we can deduce. So, yeah, just a wild guess here. Of course, Matt interrupts this phone call because that's his job. Of course. He's a younger brother, um, and this is a landline. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And then mom is like, hey, respect your sister's privacy. Immediately hops on the phone and takes Matt's place. I know. You can tell that they're related because it's almost like she picks up the conversation exactly where he left off. So Lizzie, to get her mom off the phone, says that she didn't have enough clean underwear, which just sends her mother into a total mom tizzy. Yeah, absolutely. Hangs up. That would be a disaster. Yeah, because the worst thing that could happen for Lizzie right now is that she gets a pep talk from her mom about sticking with her buddy. So got to get off the phone real quick. But I think she knows it's coming. She's just delaying the inevitable. Totally. Absolutely. Matt also wants to go camping. He does. And dad is like, oh, well, like, we can go camping, like, inside. So not camping. So, like, not camping. So, like, the exact opposite of camping. And then I believe that Joe McGuire calls her husband a wet blanket. He kind of is. (laughs) I don't blame her. (laughs) Especially after the terrible cooking job that he goes on. This is you're jumping ahead. You're jumping ahead. What a sorry. I'm just gonna jump ahead. (laughs) I feel like there's no way to. I've held it in for so long. Like what? (laughs) A culinary disaster we witness in this episode. It is unparalleled. Like. I've watched every episode of Nailed It, and they don't even come close to what happened in this episode. It is an utter catastrophe. It's more than a catastrophe. It's okay. mind-boggling. Let's, let's take it down. Okay. Sorry. Um, we'll get to that. Okay. We'll have plenty of time to discuss. Oh, good. The culinary adventures of Sam and Matt McGuire. I call it a misadventure. <laughs> let's get back on track. All right. Sorry. So after the scene establishing that the camping trip is happening, Lizzie does, in fact, get the stick with your buddy talk. She does. With a nice little close-up special effect that the show loves you so much with the slow-mo sort of stick with your buddy. Yeah, and Gordo, so Gordo asks her, like, have you gotten the talk yet? And am I the only one who's, like, a sex talk? (laughs) 
<laughs> like, what a weird question. I mean, that is generally what we mean when we say the talk, but they are only 12. Yes. And it's like, stick with your buddy. They're in groups the whole time. Like, who is, you never find out who Lizzie's buddy is that's because they're all in one group. That's true. That's true. But, you know, good parenting, buddy yeah. system. Okay. It's fair. Yeah, good My parenting. mom would say that to me, too. So after we get this establishing scene, we cut to school and we kind of get a bunch of um, like snapshots of what everyone has packed for this trip, what everyone is currently wearing for this trip. And it's it's a journey. Yeah, everybody is congregating in the cafeteria and we uh, see Danny Kessler again, who you told me was basically dead. And um, I was shocked to see him again. <laughs> The resurrection of Danny Kessler. I think we get him in one more episode. Oh, lucky us. Um, but we do see also uh, Ethan Kraft dressed like Eminem, which is very fun. <laughs> we see Kate with a full suitcase for a for a 48-hour I mean, there's trip. always somebody. I have been on a couple overnight field trips back in my day, and there's always somebody who way overpacks. And you're like, why do you have this much stuff? And in this school, that person is Kate, of course. And that of makes course. total sense. Yeah, I mean, that that's fair. And then Kate approaches Lizzie and Miranda and Gordon, who are just kind of minding their own business, hanging out, waiting to go. Well, minding their own business in air quotes because Gordo is literally filming okay. this entire thing. Oh, yeah. It's the first time we see Gordo with his video camera. I know. And I wrote down... So if you look at the screen, Gordo's video camera has 403 minutes of battery. What an impressive battery <laughs> back in early 2001. He's a filmmaker. He's an auteur. I guess. Got all the best equipment. Impressive stuff. So Kate approaches them and is just in like instant attack mode. Like, hey, Lizzie, did you bring Mr. Snuggles? Like, yeah, I mean, this is their first kind of indication that they must have been close at one point. Yeah. Because she knows about Mr. Snuggles, who feels very personal to Lizzie. She also comments about her dorky pajamas. Um, what, do they have pink puppies on them? And Miranda, like a great friend, comes into her defense and goes, they were pink duckies. Yeah, get it right. Not puppies. Yeah. Kate. Tells Lizzie that she shops at Dorks R Us. Just like sick burn. I know. How sad is it that now Toys R Us, the originator of that joke, is not even around it's not anymore. Even around. It's it. like not even irrelevant. I know. How times have changed in 20 years. But yeah, Gordo is filming Kate during this whole interaction. He goes, I wonder if Spielberg started this way. So he's very um, aware that this is not the next major motion picture. One of my favorite lines was when he just goes, I'm off to record adolescent milestones. Like he's expecting <laughs> big moments in this cafeteria. I love Gordo. He's so pure. Yeah, he's expecting one person to discover <laughs> puberty in real time. Uh, he wants another person to get their period. Like he's just off for these adolescent, <laughs> adolescent milestones. milestones. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And then shortly after that, we are introduced to Mr. Pettis, the science teacher who has a recurring role on this show. Yeah, what a clueless teacher he is. He goes on to play Mr. Duffy in Phil of the Future. Fun fact. 
have not seen Phil of the Future. Stay tuned. Oh, boy. <laughs> Can't wait. And we get the very, um, like, quirky science teacher to a T in this guy. For sure. Gordo put a frog in his pocket three days ago that he still hasn't found. It's dead, right? The frog. It was a dead frog the whole time, or did it die in his pocket? The frog? Yeah. It was a live frog. Remember, it jumps later on, it jumps out of his pocket. That's not what happens. Later on, Mr. Pettis finds the frog in his pocket and then takes it out and kind of tosses it onto the <laughs> ground and says, oh, it must be sleeping. I clearly missed that. You clearly missed that. So that was one of my questions. Was, was the frog dead when Gordo put the frog into the pocket or was it alive and then it died in his pocket? Okay. Either way, gross. Either way, gross. You would think it was already dead since they were dissecting frogs. But when you get a dead frog to dissect, it already does not look like a living frog anymore. So, I mean, granted, the frog that we saw slipped into the pocket did not look like a real frog either. So we are, we are all over the place. Yeah. Let's just skip ahead to the big plot point of the episode. The big reveal. The big reveal. There's a Taken surprise. on Gordo's camera. Taken on. Yes. There's a surprise chaperone. Big news. Girl chaperone, gone. New chaperone, here. And they're all speculating, like, who could it be? Who could it be? And then we get this, like, really dramatic reveal where um, she's wearing this, like, giant camper backpack. It starts, like, backing up toward the camera before she turns around. And who could it be but Joe McGuire? It was quite an entrance. I was here for it. I liked it. There's, like, smoke kind of... (laughs) clouding her before she came in yeah i was into it yeah gordo got a good moment and like what a quick turnaround for her to be a surprise chaperone like she must have an apocalypse bag like (laughs) packed up in her house because she was like boom there do we think that this was really kind of like a last minute thing or did she know and not tell anybody i think that it was a last minute thing she clearly does not work so yes it's like she had nothing else better to do Yeah, so she must have an apocalypse bag somewhere in the house. I think that... She's ready for an emergency. I think to, like, back up my thesis that it was really last minute is I think that if it was planned, she would have left better food for Sam and Matt as opposed to, like, super old casserole and, like, avoided this whole B story. Okay, yeah, so... Spontaneous chaperone. And Lizzie's like, no, this is a nightmare. She's very, like... Just expects her mom to embarrass her, but there's no real evidence that Joe McGuire is an embarrassing mom. Yeah, not yet. I mean, in episode one, we saw her being a reassuring and comforting mom. In episode two, we saw her being a vindictive and abusive mom. (laughs) And now in episode three, we see the cool mom. What a multidimensional mom. She really has so many layers to her. Honestly. Yeah, she says... Don't worry, I won't embarrass you. I'm a cool mom. And the I'm a cool mom line to me is just instantly associated with um, Amy Poehler in Mean Girls playing Regina George's mother, where she goes, I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. But now I'm like, wait a second. Is Joe McGuire the original cool mom? I don't know. This is older than Mean Girls. It's older than Mean Girls, but saying I'm a cool mom is such an innocuous thing, and I feel like every mom has said that, can you really, My mom has never said I'm a cool mom. It's just such a, I feel like, regular thing to say. 
agree to disagree. Okay. And just to prove what a cool mom she is, she brought so much toilet paper. The true indicator of coolness. The true, I mean, like, I think that's cool. I would appreciate that immensely. You need it. Like, what are you going to do? You're in the woods. You do. So now that Joe is spontaneously on this trip, this means that Sam and Matt are left to fend for themselves for an evening. And boy, do they try. Yeah, this is the, so this is a little bit about what I was talking about earlier. The culinary disaster starts here with them pulling the grossest looking casserole I've ever seen out of the refrigerator and then deciding that they don't want to eat it. Where's mom? On her field trip with Lizzie. Mom's chaperoning Lizzie's field trip? Yep. Lizzie's going to hate that. Cool. It's just us men tonight. Men, 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 Why don't we see what mom left us for dinner? Tuna noodle casserole she's been trying to get us to eat for the past three weeks. Oh man, that is just plain mean. It says to heat at 350 degrees for 20 minutes. I don't think heating's gonna help. It's just gonna make it angry. We're gonna starve, aren't we? It's just gonna be like that movie where everybody's starved, isn't it? We're not gonna starve. We are? No, son, we're gonna cook. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there on the second watch. There is so much to unpack there. Where would you like to begin? Let's begin with the beginning of the clip where Matt starts pounding on his chest and going, men, men, men. Yes, the true indicator of a man. The true indicator. Pounding on your chest and running around going, men, 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 men. Yeah, that's a very um, aggro, masculine approach. It is. <laughs> it is. Oof. I also have a lot to say about the expectation of the wife leaving dinner behind and the sort of um, depiction of men who aren't able to take care of themselves. I have a lot of feelings about that, just as a as a woman. Yeah, I mean, you would... Okay, so this is an adult man, right? And you would think that this adult man would know how to cook something himself. (laughs) You would think... I'm laughing because it just gets so wild. (laughs) I know, it is hard to isolate this specific moment in time. But we see him, and, you know, it's, it's nice. Joe did cook something for them. That's very nice of her. I mean, in all fairness, they did say it was three weeks old. All right, so one weird thing that I noticed, they take the aluminum foil off the casserole, and then there's a scream, but no one's screaming. So my question is, is the casserole itself screaming? (laughs) I think it might be the oven mitt that Matt later talks to, that talks back. Oh, yeah. We learned this episode that Matt may or may not be a ventriloquist. Definitely is a ventriloquist. Secret skill. Yeah, and then... Okay, so this is something that's big in the film world is a lot of sounds are not uh, recorded on location. They're recorded by a Foley artist in a separate room and then kind of matched up with the video later on in post-production. 
But what I noticed here is that when the dad, Sam, is poking at the casserole with a knife, you hear, like, somebody making a noise with their mouth. And it's, like, <laughs> like weird noises. So I'm wondering, who is the Foley artist that they have on this show? Because that is not a casserole noise. That is just someone... Like making noise with the saliva in their mouth. Like smacking their lips. Yeah, it was really weird Foley work. Sorry, that was just something that I noticed. No, that was a compelling observation. I'm just digesting it. And then, of course, uh, we get Matt's classic yelling, camera zooming in and out. Yeah. Yelling, we're going to starve. Yeah. And Dad's like, no, we're going to cook. And Matt already knows, even though we, the viewer, can like anticipate maybe where this is going, Matt already like absolutely knows where this is going. And he's like, now we're going to starve. Because obviously men can't cook. This man literally cannot cook. (laughs) Right. But like, what are your thoughts about like this sort of depiction of men who are incapable of doing domestic things to take care of themselves? See, it's difficult in this specific situation. Because it's so absurd. Here's why I say that. He's so bad at cooking. (laughs) You're like, oh, he actually can't. He actually cannot cook. And you would think that, you know, he and his wife have been together for over 10 years. She must know how poor of a cook he is. He tried to put a pile of hamburger (laughs) into the microwave. Again, you're jumping ahead. I'm sorry. Is so she must know how terrible he is at this one thing. And I'm saying that's why this Maybe was not this one thing. That's this is a thing that he is terrible at. And I'm saying mm-hmm. that's why this was definitely a last minute gig for her. Yeah. Because like if she really thought about it, she was like, if I don't leave them like decent food, I could come back to no home. It is obviously a very stereotypical depiction of your gender roles in middle class America. But on the other hand, you think it fits his character? I mean, in this episode, it definitely fit. Like, we have no, we had no idea before that he was a bad cook. But now we know that he is not only a bad cook, the worst cook ever. I do have to say, with, like, a wider view of the series as a whole, he does definitely fall into, like, the doofy dad category. I'm sure we'll see that further on. But I feel like in this episode, if you take this episode on its own, it's hard to say whether this is just your classic stereotype or he is just that terrible. Yeah, but the humor is based on a stereotype. They're like kind of inextricably linked. Like, yes, maybe he's just a terrible cook, but that seed is planted by a stereotype. That's fair. Yeah. Okay, we could talk about Sam and Matt all night, and we have a lot more to unpack there. But why don't we jump back to Lizzie in the woods? And what a trip in the woods it is. Yeah. Like the f- fastest bus ride. I wrote down hyperspeed. Hyperspeed. A hyperspeed bus ride. And, and boom, they're at the woods. And boom, they are in the middle of the woods. And their objective, as given by the science teacher, is to identify and classify as many animals as possible. Fair. That seems like a, that f- seems like a checks out. Yeah, everything is normal on this field trip so far. Very sciencey, very yes. normal. They're going to split off into two groups by gender. I'm again don't really love like why does it have to be by gender? Like unclear. Uh, it's not unclear. like this is like a sleeping arrangement situation. It is just like a 
a part of school. So, like, why are you automatically pitting the boys and girls against each other? It's a choice. That's all I'm saying. And then we learn this is where it gets real. I apologize in advance for where this is going. But he separates them by gender. Mm -hmm. Boys go with him. Girls go with Joe. Yes. And gives them tribe names. But not just any tribe names. Yes, they are the tribe names from the original season of Survivor, Survivor Borneo. So the girls will be named Tagi, and the boys will be named Pagong. <laughs> that was our brains exploding when that happened. Yeah. Should we get some context on Tagi and Pagong? For those who are unfamiliar with the world of Survivor, the original winner of Survivor was a man named Richard Hatch, who was on the Tagi tribe. And he convinced the other members of the Tagi tribe that they should form an alliance, thus uh, forming one big block of people who would all vote together. Because in the first season of Survivor, nobody really realized that it's not so much about how well you can survive in the woods, it's more about how many friends you have. Meanwhile, everybody on Pagong decided they would only work individually. Therefore, Tagi absolutely decimated Pagong because nobody on Pagong could work together to vote off anybody from Tagi, and thus we are now blessed with the term Pagonging, which basically means to be systematically eliminated one by one. So much history, so much knowledge, so much survivor. Yes. So obviously first initial impression is all the boys are going to die. Right, because... Because they're Pagong. Because they're Pagong. Yeah. Not what happens in the show. Yeah, this just seemed very, um, like, there was no real logic beyond just, like, borrowing the survivor names. No, disappointing. They could have done so much more. True. But it was still, again, incredible because, as we've already said, the first season of Survivor had literally probably been simultaneously airing as this was filming. True. But everybody watched the first season of Survivor. Reality TV as we know it exists because of Survivor. People forget about that. Back in 2000, something like that, where you could just watch people being people, it just didn't exist. And people, I think something like 20 million people watched, what, the premiere of Survivor? Yeah. And like 20 years later, it's still here. It's still thriving. It's still the best show on TV. All right, you're getting into a hole now. <laughs> Reel it back in. Okay. What happens next is that there will be a prize for whoever classifies the most organisms. It's more like a punishment for whoever doesn't classify. True, an anti-prize for whoever classifies the least number of organisms. And that anti-prize is digging up earthworms. You know, the, the boys are relatively unfazed by this. The girls are, of course, disgusted. Kate in particular who is just so not digging for earthworms, so we better win. I mean, if there's ever any motivation that anybody needs, <laughs> just threaten them with having to dig up earthworms. And then they, you know, really use the tribe names as a sort of unifying Tagi, yeah. Pagong, like they refer to themselves as that. Yeah, Kate's mom, not Kate's mom, sorry, oh. Lizzie's mom starts a chant. It's like, who are we? Tagi. What do we do? Win. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. Pretty C plus chant, but hey, let's go with it. So we get this montage of the girls off 
identifying all the plants and animals and, you know, Joe McGuire leading the way and like exhibiting like great mom moments, even though Lizzie is still very much embarrassed by the fact that this is happening. Yeah, but uh, a lot of the other kids seem to be enjoying having Joe as a chaperone. Like after Miranda identifies, um, what is it, a yellow-bellied sap sucker, uh, Joe gives her a high five. Mortifies Lizzie, but it seems Miranda's pretty harmless. Miranda's into the high five. It seems pretty harmless to yeah. me. Yeah. So, yeah, good trek through the woods for sure. Good trek. But I totally understand that feeling, especially at that age, you're just like unreasonably hard on your parents. Totally. Like your mom could be doing nothing wrong. And you could be like, why are you breathing too loud? You know, like it's it just, it's it's definitely feels and like rings really true of mm-hmm. the age. So after our first montage, note that I say first, because once again, we have multiple montages in one episode. We cut back to our favorite B story of all time. Sam is in the kitchen holding so that we in view, so we can see this cookbook that says, Cooking for complete idiots. Yeah, he wants to make duck larange, but he and Matt quickly learn that they have no duck. And so he says, we can make something work. Yeah, they start improvising real quick. They don't just think, maybe we should pick a different recipe. It's a whole book. It is a whole book, yeah. I mean, picking another recipe would be way too easy. They have to make duck larange with no duck. And then, you know, like like I said, Matt has been very on the pulse of this B story. He goes, I have a bad feeling about this. And he's wearing an oven mitt. <laughs> and the oven mitt says back, me too. And the oven mitt is moving like Matt is controlling its mouth. But n- the words are not coming out of Matt's mouth. And this is when I'm like, oh, my God, is Matt McGuire a ventriloquist? That's one theory, but then another theory could be that the oven mitt is just sentient. Like, we heard somebody scream earlier. Originally, I thought it was the casserole itself, but maybe it was the oven mitt. I like the idea, though, that Matt is a secret ventriloquist. That's, like, his secret skill. I could see it. I like that. I think it fits. I think so, too. Um, so we get that just that brief little cut in, just to remind us all that this whole, like, cooking catastrophe in the making is happening but we're quickly back in the woods lizzie's mom is still doing her motivational thing they're all kind of like at this point tired i guess they're kind of just like laying around yeah it's been a long day trekking through the woods trekking through the woods identifying plants and animals and then joe you know susses out a problem a potential problem really quick again i kind of see where like Lizzie gets her her skills from in her because it was very reminiscent of like Lizzie realizing there was something wrong in the last episode. Yeah, you're right. In Picture Day, so mm-hmm. I was like, "Ooh, this is like a family thing." They just have this like sense. The gene. And Joe goes, "It's quiet, too quiet." Which like they're in the woods. Like I don't know what she's expecting to hear, but n- nonetheless, Joe's senses are correct, and. The boys, out of nowhere, jump out and start spraying the girls with water guns, soaking them aggressively. Yeah, it's crazy to me that the boys end up winning this uh, organism classification contest, given that it seems like they've just been planning a raid this whole time. Yeah, and I have a lot of questions like, where did all the water guns come from? 
Where did the water come from? Very logically, that water is probably very gross, like wood woods water. Oh, for sure. That they just sprayed all over these girls. Like there's probably like E. coli all over this, like all in this water. And then the girls are just kind of have to like dry off. Like this is a this is a war crime. <laughs> yeah, this is a jailable offense. Truly. Oh, God, it just got grosser the more I think about it. And Lizzie is not pleased. Yep, she goes. Specifically at Gordo. Like, she feels very personally attacked by Gordo. Because Gordo's usually beyond all of this. That's true, but Gordo's been hanging around with Ethan Kraft. Danny Kessler. Danny Kessler, all those bad boys in the class. He just wants to fit in, as we saw in the last episode, Picture Day. He said that he was, you know, just getting in touch with his hunter-gatherer instincts. And Lizzie just keeps screaming Gordo just so incredulously. And I love it so much because, like, I just feel like it just, like, I love when one word and, like, the way that she screams at him just, like, there's so much in it. Like, it says so much about their relationship dynamic, the way she is screaming Gordo. And I think it's a great acting performance by Hilary Duff right there. And then she goes chasing him off into the woods. she runs after him. And in that moment, Gordo is her buddy. Oh, good one. Away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And then we cut to the tent. The girls have since dried off. But we learn that there was no consequence for this prank. I know. What a lose-lose for the girls. First, they get sprayed with these water guns, and then they still have to dig up all the earthworms. Yeah, they're like, the boys should have been disqualified. And quite frankly, I agree. You get some flashback seeing that they did, in fact dig up the earthworms, and now they're really talking about getting the boys back. Yeah. um, Miranda, or actually, it's Lizzie who suggests uh, putting the earthworms in the boys' beds. And at that precise moment, Joe comes in and is like, absolutely not, Lizzie. And then she says one of my favorite lines in the episode, and besides, boys like earthworms. All right. This is objectively not true. If someone tried to put an earthworm in my bed, I would not be having that. As a boy. As a former boy, yes. Now a man. Now a man. This is not a thing. This is a really weird um, depiction of masculinity, liking earthworms, but it is not an accurate one. Obviously, girls have to be grossed out by it, and boys are the opposite, so therefore, they love it. I guess. But I feel like this, like, rings more true to, like, a, like I think Matt would like earthworms. You think Matt would like earthworms in his bed? Not in his bed, but I think like I think what they're trying to do is like the image of like the little boy who's like really into bugs. But I feel like they would have outgrown that phase. Yeah, no. They're twelve. I, this felt more stereotypy to me than Sam's cooking. I think that they are equally stereotypy. One, I don't think it's you more. have actual proof that Sam is a terrible cook versus no proof that these boys like earthworms. Wow, look at us. And these girls don't like earthworms. Like maybe one of these girls actually does like earthworms, but she's a minor character. Look at all of these complex females and just the stereotyping of men. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Lizzie, once again, is continuing to brainstorm this. How can we get them back? She's like, well, we have a whole lot of toilet paper. And then Joe's like, that's a great idea, much to Lizzie's surprise. It is a surprise. But before... We see the plan. We get to the climactic moment of the B story. 
so many things about it make no sense. So there's a, a mountain of hamburger and just full oranges. They don't like zest the oranges. It's just full oranges <laughs> on a also, platter. They, they shape the hamburger meat to look like a duck. I mean, that's not the weirdest thing. Like, I feel like uh, a lot of people shape food to be other things. It's the method by which they try to cook it that is a little concerning to me. They try to stick the entire thing in a microwave, realize it doesn't fit, change it up a little bit, and then stick it back in the microwave. Smoke quickly starts to appear from the microwave. There's eggshells all over the kitchen island for some reason. That's so true. Why? Then the microwave starts to smoke. They realize very quickly that there's been a terrible mistake. And then at the end of the entire (laughs) catastrophe, Matt has flour all over his face. Flour all over. Like, what are these ingredients? <laughs> this is not duck l'orange in any way. Objectively, when you cook, when you get a duck to eat it, I would assume I've never eaten duck before. But it would look more like a turkey. Like, it would just look like a bird. But they shaped it to look like like a, like a duck, like the animal. Yep. Like with a beak. Correct. Wild. Crazy. So then... We are back in the woods, and this is where we get some of the more, I guess you could say, problematic elements of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the girls all have war paint on their faces. Which is just lipstick. Which is just lipstick, which, again, why are we bringing lipstick to the woods? Question. That was what Kate's suitcase was. <laughs> yeah, that, it, it is probably Kate's lipstick. It was just all lipstick. Um. And Lizzie's still reluctant to participate. She's still embarrassed that, like, her mom is leading this charge. And Miranda rightfully calls her out for feeling this way because Miranda's like, if this was anyone else's mom, you'd be having the time of your life. And Lizzie acknowledges that. She's like, you're right, but it's not anybody else's mom. True. my mom. Meanwhile, Joe is leading this, like, full midnight teepee raid. Again, they have war paint on their faces. Not, not a great look. But they're going off. They're going to do this raid. Yeah, Joe gives an amazing speech. She does. Really motivational. Should we play the clip? Yes, I can play the clip. Okay, girls, we have this one chance, this one moment to get back at the boys. Don't let your digging for earthworms be in vain. Who are we? Tommy! What are we going to do? Win! Let's do this. So maybe they did, in fact, assign the right tribes to the right. Because in the end, Toggy kind of wins. Toggy does kind of win. It does take one sacrificial lamb for Toggy to win. But they do win. And after that wonderful speech, we cut to the raid. I have a lot of um, questions about this scene in particular. Okay. So initially, you're like, okay, like, Joe brought a lot of toilet paper. They're going to, they're going to, like, just TP the tent. That makes sense. Yeah. But it's so much more vindictive than that. Yeah, they have a bunch of extra supplies that no one had mentioned before. Like, where did the shave cream come from? Where did the honey come from? There's honey. There's a string that they attach to a water balloon. Where did the balloon come from? (laughs) Who just carries around a balloon? They have a lot of um, camping non-essentials on their persons. 
The shave cream is the weirdest thing for me, I think. They're all 12. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's no way any of them need shaving cream. So, wait. So, they're doing this raid. They have a lot of questionable items that they're using to execute this raid. Like, they are squirting honey everywhere and sticking the toilet paper. They, they are making a mess. They are. A mess out of the boys' cabin, which is objectively, like, worse, I guess. Yeah, no one notices. None of the boys wake up. Yeah, none of the boys wake up. But then we see, you know, a flashlight in the distance. Someone's approaching. Joe says, girls, get out of here. And all the girls leave. And then Joe is caught by Mr. Pettis, the teacher. And the prank ultimately culminates in him activating a tripwire and a water balloon falling on his head. Just now the, he's been personally attacked. A great conclusion to the entire sequence. A great conclusion. As far as pranks go, where would you rank this? This is not a great prank because they get caught doing it. You have to succeed in not getting caught at your prank to get a passing grade. So this inherently gets a failing grade, uh, or at least not a C because they got caught. I'd give it a D plus. Oof. So not high on this prank. I'm not high on this prank, no. It, if Fair. Like, we just finished uh, the most recent episode of Superstore, and in that episode, Jonah convinces Garrett that the company is watching him. That is a great prank. I rate that an A-minus prank. Uh, and it ultimately ends with Garrett calling a bomb squad on himself. <laughs> that is an amazing <laughs> prank. Okay. This not a great prank. The intent was there. The intent was there. If they had pulled it off and everything had worked smoothly, this would probably be like a B minus prank. Okay. I'll accept that. So we wrap up the B story. We're back at home. Sad, sad Sam and Matt just get pizza. And like that is a normal thing to do, but it's paired with. So they're eating pizza on the porch Sam's holding a hose, and you see that, like, he's hosing off everything that they use to try to cook outside in a kiddie pool. Yeah, I would have started with the pizza, honestly. Yeah. Avoided the whole fiasco. But, yeah, the fact that they use so many dishes for no results is just so disappointing. I mean, they had taken out some pretty big pots. That's Which fair. is surprising, considering <laughs> that their method of cooking was the microwave. So, like, what? <laughs> why are these pots dirty, you know? Like, the recipe just definitely does not call for pots. Yeah, it probably just with. calls for putting it in the oven. Yeah, like a baking Oh, 100%. Baking yeah, it's ridiculous. Any final thoughts before we put this one to bed? Second of three episodes where the B story is just insane. <laughs> Maybe three of yeah. three because... Picture day included like slight child abuse. It's like there's the there's a world at school where things are like a little bit like teen drama, and then there's a world at home that's just madness. It's like the cat in the hat, but like on steroids. It's insane. No, it's true. It's true. They put a lot of the like absurdist humor into the B story and leaned very heavily on Matt McGuire to deliver. And he does. That is honestly, sorry, just to go back. Honestly, like, 
it is like riding the cat in the hat ride at Universal, <laughs> just on an endless loop. <laughs> that was such a crazy ride. It's in, it's ridiculous. It it yeah. I still have nightmares <laughs> from that ride. Why would you bring it up? I think it's my brother's favorite ride. That checks out. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're back in the woods. All the girls are just kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're waiting to find out what their punishment is. Kate very, again, aggressively goes, this is all your mom's fault, which this time, fair. Like, yes. It is. She motivated them to do this and then was the only one who got caught. Yeah, you see this great little um, final moment between Joe and Mr. Pettis where he just goes, that's not how a chaperone should act. Just like storms off. Um, And then Joe approaches the girls, and they're kind of just, like, waiting for the news. Prior to this, Lizzie is very nervous about the potential of detention, which is relatable content for me. Yeah, she's like, it could go on my permanent record. I wouldn't get into college, et cetera, et cetera. People like me don't do well in detention. Who are people like her? Good girls. Is she a good girl? We've objectively seen her. Badmouth a girl on the internet. Not want to wear Gammy Maguire's sweater and stealing people's clothes. Yeah, creepily asking for people's clothes. <laughs> like, like her perception of herself, I feel like it's so out of touch with what is actually happening. Her actions. Yeah. But I related to that. I would also have said people like me <laughs> don't do well in detention. Okay, okay. Um, so I'm not going to give her too much. Uh, flack for that one um and joe approaches them and she you know starts it off very like when you're an adult you learn all your actions have consequences and they're like oh god what's happening we're all in trouble but then goes on to say but when also you guys are kids and when you're a kid you have parents to bail you out yeah and great moment for joe she took the blame took the rap as she says no detention. No detention. And then we get a real, like, just total 180 from Lizzie, character-wise. Yes. Because she's just so overcome with her mom self-sacrificing for them. And just from this whole episode where you get, my mom's so embarrassing, my mom's so embarrassing, woe is me, Lizzie goes on to say that she has the coolest mom in the world. Yeah, high praise. High praise. She apologizes to her mom for how she'd been treating her. So she's, I, I, I thought this moment was interesting because throughout the episode, it was very, um, like Joe seemed very oblivious to Lizzie's annoyance. She seemed very like undeterred. But this interaction makes it very clear that Joe knows what's up. It's a good moment for Lizzie and Joe. Lizzie has a really heartfelt apology. She tells her mom that she's glad that she could come. She says, I think everyone kind of wishes that you were their mom right now. And I'm really glad that you're mine. And then from there, we have the final um, Lizzie-Kate interaction of the episode. And I want to play the clip because, well, let's just play the clip. I think you owe me an apology. I don't owe you an apology. You're right. You owe my mom an apology. 
You know, without my mom, this trip would have been canceled. She dug worms with us, and she took the blame for something we all did. Now you owe her an apology. You're insane. Whatever happened to the Kate I used to be friends with? The Kate I used to have sleepovers with? Or the Kate that I have pictures of with her favorite teddy bear? Um, Mr. Stuart Wugglesby? So where's your mom? I mean, home run for Lizzie McGuire. What a two-episode character arc. I know. She who was so quick to avoid conflict at any cost in episode one, now just straight up mic-dropping Stuart Wugglesby. Comes to her mom's defense so fast, does not stutter, not once, and then she blackmails Kate into apologizing. It's incredible. I know, it's gone from like very defensive to almost too aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) But in this particular moment, I loved everything about it. Yeah, it was a good confrontation. Again, you get a little more insight into like whatever happened to the Kate that I used to be friends with. So that backstory is starting to be developed a little bit more. It's just, it's so good. Yeah, it's totally. so good. So then finally, we're back at school. The trip is over. Everyone has survived, if you will. Tagi and Pagong are no more. They are merged. They are merged. And once again, Lizzie is still very hype on her mom coming out of this trip. Um, via her animation, we get that Joe McGuire is the coolest mom of all time in the history of the universe. And then she kind of pulls back a bit in a way that I felt rang really true to just being a 12-year-old. The concluding line of the episode is, sometimes you do get the best of both worlds, a cool mom and a parent band from all school field trips. And that's it. That's the episode. That's the episode. That is when moms attack. A lot was there. We did it. We did. Um, As always, we have to talk about some outfits. So I think it most prudent to start with the camping outfits of, what's Kate's last name? Saunders. Oh, I had no idea. Of Kate Saunders. I really had to dig deep for a second for that one. (laughs) Yeah, so let's pull up some Kate Saunders here in the cafeteria. Yes. Um, first of all, we got some camo on camo. Yeah, pink camo on the top, blue, blue camo, camo on the bottom. Like, who's she trying to hide from? Not blending in anywhere. <laughs> like, what is pink <laughs> on top and blue on bottom? Um, nothing. Great camo. Yeah, it's like the in the top is, again, the, like, wide strap tank top that we see a lot of and the bottom is looks like a cargo pant and her hair is in two low pigtails very um very neutral for this show okay not much to say there you're avoiding the obvious thing to talk about here i was getting to it her three blind mice glasses yeah she has some pretty weird sunglasses on inside inside and they're kind of they're even tinted kind of weirdly it's it's a this is an interesting look. They're like little oval, oval tinted spectacles. There's so much going on here with this look. There is so much going on. Is this next in fashion? Kate thought it was. Kate clearly thought it was. She thought it was so much that our second uh, image that we have pulled is Kate 
on the second day, which is just once it's, again it's the same outfit but like a little different. <laughs> we have purple camo on the top. We do. We have purple camo on the top and like a white and purple camo on the bottom. This one goes this one's together. This more coordinated. This one goes together a little bit better, I will say. She has like a camo scarf tied around her neck. So much, like who has this much camo? She was prepared for Survivor, for the woods. Even if you went on Survivor, you don't wear this much camo. This is a lot of camouflage outfits. It's a lot of camouflage, but you know, she's on theme. I don't fault her for that. For someone who really, really was not equipped for camping, she got really into the aesthetic of it or her perceived aesthetic of it. Yeah, I mean, and this is pre-Instagram. It's not even like she can snap a photo and be like, yo, check out my camping outfit. Camping or glamping? Oh, good one. All right, our next outfit is courtesy of Sam McGuire. Uh, it is his apron. Yes, um, he is, during his um, cooking adventures, wearing a cow print apron. Also of note... He is still sporting that shirt and tie look just while he's in his house. Well, my thought in this episode was that he is probably like he was at work and he's just like home from work now. Like it seemed like he went to work today. That's fair, but I don't know. I don't know about your dad, but when my dad came home from work, the first thing he did was change out of his work clothes. Like, Yeah, my dad would also change out of his work clothes pretty quick. Uh, but my dad... At least, like, as time went on, wearing a tie at work became less and less of a yeah, mandated thing. Back to the apron for a second. My recommendation for Sam McGuire is to take that apron and burn it. <laughs> it's probably Joe's apron. Uh, no, it's, it's definitely Joe's apron. He should cast it into the fire. The tribe has spoken. <laughs> Last outfit that uh, I would like to talk about is uh, Miranda, who has pulled out an orange hat. Yeah, it's like a bucket hat. Would you wear this orange hat? I had bucket hats. Orange bucket hats? Never orange. My brother has a hat like this, but it has Syracuse logo on it. I had a couple hats in this style. Um, I had like a pink sort of velvety bucket hat. I had a black kind of like fuzzy velvet hat. The idea would be that they were winter hats, but they, the style hat does not cover your ear, so it's kind of pointless as a winter hat. Yeah, what is the purpose of this hat? Because it, it's not going to keep the sun out of your eyes. It's not going to keep your ears warm. What is the purpose? It's just a look. It is now time for MVP. Sam? Who was your MVP this episode? So for episode three, When Moms Attack, I felt like there was a very clear choice for MVP, and I would be very shocked if you had a different opinion, but my clear MVP for this episode is Joe McGuire. The episode is kind of named for her. It is called When Moms Attack, but she is really kind of the star character of episode 103. Not only that, she gives an amazing motivational speech. She convinces all of the girls to do a prank. And then when the prank blows up in all of their faces, she alone takes the fall for it. She is able to convince her 
daughter, Lizzie McGuire, that she is, in fact, a cool mom. And uh, she just comes off looking pretty cool after the child abuse of the last episode. So for episode 103, MVP has got to be Joe McGuire. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also had Joe as my MVP for all of the reasons that you so eloquently stated. She owned this episode. Now, two of my three MVPs, since we are keeping count, have been Joe McGuire. Which still is early, though. Still early, but I just wanted to note that. But she has um, pulled back into the lead. Since you stated the case for Joe so wonderfully, anything I would say I feel like is just a little redundant there. So since you got to give an honorable mention last time, mm-hmm. I'm going to give my first honorable mention. Okay. And I'm giving it to Lizzie. Honorable mention to Lizzie, okay. Yeah. Lizzie McGuire is now three episodes in a confrontation queen. That is true. And she recognized that how she was treating her mom was wrong. There was some self-reflection and awareness there. Apologized to her mom very beautifully. And then approached Kate, her nemesis, demanded an apology. When that apology was denied, went on to blackmail Kate for this apology, which I don't usually condone blackmailing, but in this case, it was just such an evolution. And Kate did owe Mrs. McGuire, Joe McGuire, an apology. Lizzie was absolutely right. So go Lizzie. Good for her standing up for her mom. I love to see that. Yeah, totally. Honorable mention there. Nice. Cool. Well, that's all from us. If you have any thoughts comments we love to hear them you can tweet us at outfit repeat pod i'm at marissa Cantor. sam is at sir sam chung if we missed anything if you have anything to add we love to hear it um if you're curious about the outfits that we looked at um we're gonna have a link so if you go to www.paginatedmedia.com slash outfit repeaters Uh, You'll be able to find show pages for all of the podcasts that we've done so far. And within each show page, I've included the photos of the outfits that we're going to talk about. So that's a good way to follow along if you would like to do so that way as well. So that is it from us. That was season one, episode three, When Moms Attack. Tune in next time for episode 104, Pool Party. The episode we've been waiting for. Yeah, the pilot, right? The pilot. Wow, how exciting. Four episodes in. Can't wait. Can't wait, too.